hi you thanks so much for tuning in again i'm gonna try to change things up this week and um trying to do a less performative intro i guess um just gonna talk and see if we like this one better so a few comments about the recording first i swear the recording was favoring rye's mic because basically i sound like a sadistic nurse especially in the first few questions um so please forgive me for that and anyway overall i felt that rye was just super inspirational and how vulnerable and thoughtful he is we talked about a lot of things i feel like we can all relate to when it comes to relationships insecurities like feelings of loneliness during pandemic and the great love of us all, crypto and friendships. This was definitely one where I got more than what I bargained for in the most positive way. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Again, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I love you so much and can't wait for you to come and hang. So relax and let's have a little sit down with the CTO of Alonside together. Okay, cool. How's it going? <laughs> you. Cool. Yeah, I don't have headphones on. I hope that's okay. I forgot them at the office. Oh, shit. Okay. I don't know. Did you freeze? Did I freeze? I think you froze, but I like I can't tell. Are you... I, yeah, I don't usually have issues on this Wi-Fi. Um, okay, seems okay now. I guess we can just continue and see if it happens again. All right, cool. How's it yeah. going? Good, good. This is the first thing I'm doing today, pretty much. So <laughs> good way to start the day. <laughs> yeah. Do you monitor, like, your prices really, like, closely because it's been launched? Ah, uh, like of AMKT? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do, but less because it's been launched and more because it's an index. And so I think it's really cool that like it is a metric for the status of the whole crypto market. Yeah. And we have this ticker that we bought on Etsy that we can put prices on and it doesn't support AMKT, but it supports like big indexes like S&P 500 um, mm -hmm. and you can put like individual big cryptos on it like ETH. And so we have S&P there, we have ETH there, and then we have the AMKT on like our dashboard. And it's really cool that it's like the S&P equivalent for yeah. crypto. And I can just look at that one number and be like, oh, wow, we're up to 83 today. The market has been pumping, you know? Uh, yeah. Definitely super cool. Um, how do you start your mornings? Are you a coffee or a tea person? Um, neither usually. I actually, most days I don't have any caffeine. Um, the way I start my morning is I don't really have a routine per se. Actually, there is one relative constant these days, which is coconut water. Um, yeah. And uh, that's because, so I went down this rabbit hole about learning about uh, the obesity epidemic and why people today are bigger than ever before in history. Um, and so like long story short, there are some things that, uh, potentially help with staying leaner and one of them could be potassium and coconut water is high in potassium and so just anecdotally like a lot of people have said and I experience that when I have 
uh, coconut water in the mornings, it curbs my appetite. So I just have like, I take like a car- two cartons with me on my like commute to like two little cartons on my commute to work. And I just like drink those. And uh, oftentimes I'll wake up hungry, but I'll have that and I won't be hungry for a while. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like you're so uh, used to podcasts. Like you definitely have that vibe where you're speaking at the right cadence, you really? know, relaxed, yet professional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, I think I've always, um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the performative aspect to it. Like I've liked public speaking, I get nervous about it, but I feel like kind of nervous and collected when I'm on stage at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah, no worries. I feel like, so when I was thinking through kind of like podcast vibes, what I was really going for, yeah. I definitely feel like um, the Emma Chamberlain, like Joe Regan really resonate with me where it's just yeah. chill, like, you know, I don't know. You just say like whatever you want. You just see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. I, when when you when you sent me the thing about what you want this to be like, the first thought I had was, I bet this girl knows about uh, we're not really strangers. Do you know that game? Yeah, I love that game. I think that like you, I was like, okay, she's definitely the type who like wants to play a connection game at a party, and like that is something super fun for her. Yeah, that game is so awkward. So like we've oh, attempted, really? we've attempted multiple times, but like. Yo, it just never worked out because, like, that one where it's, like, looking to each, other, each other's eyes for, like, 60 seconds or, like, um the, like, so, level one, one what? Uh, so I've never actually played it one-on-one, um, mm-hmm. which is what it was designed to do. I played it mainly in a group where you – I guess, like, my, my friend group in New York has figured out how to play this. Like, you just don't even do levels one and three. You just take the level two questions and you just do it in a circle uh, with a big group. And that's how I've played it, and it's really fun. Okay. Well, yeah. we can try it out sometime. Yeah, it. yeah. Okay. Um, I have so like how expansion what? packs and everything? Yeah. What are the expansion packs? There's like, um, okay, hold on. We can share a screen, right? Let's just go, let's just look at these. Okay, so I'm gonna go to. Uh, we're not really strangers. I can't share like just one side. So okay, okay, couples edition, friendship edition, honest dating, breakup. That's hilarious. Can you you imagine breaking up and then you're like, so for this breakup, I brought a game. <laughs> it's like guided breakup. Yeah. I kind of like it. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's family. Actually, hold on, I want to see. I'm gonna... This is the most. Do not play this with your ex. This is for you. Oh, okay. It's it's to play with oneself after a breakup. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Like yeah. Uh, self-love. Uh, yeah. Family edition. Healing edition. Forgiveness edition. Another smaller breakup edition. Self-reflection. Is this like made for New Yorkers? <laughs> made for New Yorkers? Um, I, I don't know. I feel like if, if I had to describe who this is made for, there is, uh, I don't know. I, th- I guess there's like just people who really like connection games all over the place. And there's some people who find them super awkward and don't like them. Um, yeah, I, I personally love them. I actually have one of these hoodies. 
I rarely ever get like merch from places, but there's this one hoodie. God. Are you secretly no. working for them? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, like the, the positive vibes. Uh, yeah. So the hoodie's funny because it has um, on one side, uh, on the front, it has um, uh, like meeting you was a nice accident, it was a happy accident or something like that. And it's like pretty small letters here. And then when you turn around in giant letters on the back, it says, I'm so happy we met. And so it's really, it's funny because I've been told by multiple people that it makes them smile when I turn around and I walk away and leave them because they read that and they just imagine me saying it to them. Yeah. Yeah. um, I definitely like sometimes, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but like whenever I hear something in my mind, I'm replaying it and I'm trying to read the subtext. And I feel like I just make little jokes to myself of what the subtext are. So I feel like that's like prime example. We all think it, but don't want to say it. Yeah, it's like, okay, now this sweater is just saying it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so you drink coconut water. I want to learn more about your day. (laughs) Like, let's go through your day. What does that look like? Yeah, so... um... I drink coconut water. I do look at my phone like first thing. There's messages from work, but I don't get into responding to them because I find that um, it'll just take a long time to respond to my phone. And I'm just more thoughtful when I have keyboard in front of me. So I basically look at, uh, actually, sometimes I don't even like look at what the messages are. I'll just like swipe away the work messages on Slack. Um, I'll often like check the co-founder chat uh, and just like see what's going on with them. Um, And then I do like, uh, then I just like shower and uh, head to the office in Soho. So I'm not in my office right now. I'm uh, at our investor's office. They have like a office for all their portfolio companies. Um, mm-hmm. But um, our office is like a really nice homey feeling loft space. So uh, it strikes that great balance of like, it's an office, but you don't want to leave because it's like comfortable. And so, which is good because yeah, like, we're a startup. So we want people to just like love being there and staying there. Um, so yeah, then I go into the office um and yeah head into my day i guess i guess the bigger thing i think the more more unique thing is um uh, tuesdays and thursdays i have a lot of uh my most of my day is actually blocked off uh for no meetings so that i can actually do deep work stuff then because i realized before i had that block off what was weird was um like i'd switch between more like administrative tasks and like trying to code because we're an early stage startup. So as CTO, like I often just have to code myself. And that was just not working. Like I couldn't just get into the flow of coding and I was being interrupted too much. So now I just like block off Tuesdays and Thursdays and like Wednesday mornings so that I know that I can like do any task that requires like deep work and concentration on those days. And then Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, uh, I can do those if I don't have a lot of meetings, but it's also where I can take meetings, I can work on more administrative things. Um, yeah. That's super smart. Um, I think one of the things I'm struggling with is kind of the switching costs. Like when you do one task and they have to switch over to another one. So definitely yeah. like same. I realize you can't just be like, oh, I'll write my entire article tonight after like I do all these administrative things. Like it just does yeah. not work that way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, like I find that it's, yeah, it's even hard to like do this switching costs and there's also like, just how how long can you go in one period of work, right? Like how, like how much can you actually work in one one stretch of time? And so what I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays is I also put like a gym session in the middle of the day, and that tends to like reset me. 
So I'll do like, you know, deep work session in the, in the morning. Then, you know, we have like an afternoon meeting, a standing meeting every day. And then I'll go to the gym, I'll eat food. And then by that time, like, because the gym kind of resets me, I can do another period of work in the evening. That's hardcore. Yeah. That's like, you know, proper tri-fi move. <laughs> I, it keeps me safe. Like, I love the gym. I love, I love lifting. So, yeah. But I, so like, I don't, okay, I want to see that there's no differences, but like as a girl, when I go to the gym in the middle of the day, there's like a lot of other steps after getting out of the shower that I have to do. And it's yeah. going to be like another 40 minutes on my docket. <laughs> yeah. If you have, if you have like a, like a long, I guess, uh, like if it takes you a long time to like get done, you know, do up your hair or whatever your makeup, like then, yeah, it's gonna, yeah, I, I, I don't have to do any of that. Bruh, to like brush and like hair dry this. Wait, okay. So, um, and like you know, for the for the people in audio, I, you have like nice curly longish hair. Do you brush yeah. it after you go to the gym? <laughs> no, no. I just, I just, it's just air dry water. And sometimes I like the hair day is not as good as others. Like sometimes I have a really good hair day. Sometimes it looks like flat and triangular in a way I don't like. Um, but I've decided that the uh, benefit of not having to worry about it and not having more steps and not being really like finicky about it is worth uh, the occasional like bad hair day um, or like suboptimal hair day. Um, yeah. So like, for example, when I, when I go get my haircut, they like to put product in it after. And when they go to do that, I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want product. Like I just want it to air dry. And they were like, Oh, I mean, it's free. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll just do it for you. I'm like, no, I don't want to get used to it. Like, there's a cost to me even finding out that this product works. <laughs> then I'll want to like buy it and use it, you know? Yeah. 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 And um, so I would describe you as this is my first time seeing you live. Um, a more masculine version of your PFP and your hair is tied up. That's how I see it. <laughs> yeah. My profile picture probably is a little boyish, right? I might, might need to change it. But yeah. <laughs> Did you make it? No, no. Um, uh, so early in the startup uh, startup journey, uh, we wanted to have like matching profile pictures. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think that's a bad idea. I think it's cool and in a way to like like if you do it well, then when people stumble upon your profile, there's immediately some uh, recognition with like other people they've seen, and if they like and trust one person, then like you know that kind of. Uh, that kind of spreads to you and they know like, oh, they're part of the, it's just, a, it's just a tool to make yeah. it easier for people to like put you in a bucket, which can be good, you know, because people do categorize. So like early on, we were thinking of doing that. And so we like commissioned these like um, drawings from this uh, artist Yammer. Uh, and uh, so they gave sketches and then they gave the finals. Um, we didn't like, we thought that like, it didn't end up looking like where we wanted to take the brand. So we didn't end up using them. Um, except, uh, like Gautier, one of my co-founders, uh, used his colorized version and I actually preferred the sketch that came before the final version. And so this is that sketch. Yeah. Got it. So you guys stayed loyal. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so have you always lived in New York or like, did you just move there? I, I grew up here and I, I had like a few, um, a few stints where I lived elsewhere. Like, uh, after college, I lived in Boston for a bit. That was awful, especially awful since I was coming from New York because it felt like a worse New York. Um, you're in Boston. Sorry, you're in Boston. I'm not sorry. 
Yeah, you're not a fan yeah. either? No, no, I don't like Boston. So, so here, here's the thing is that I was in Boston with the wrong context. Like, if you're going to go to school there, do grad school or undergrad, I'm sure it's really fun because it doesn't matter that it's really damn cold all the time. Like, you have your friend group and you'll get into shenanigans and whatever, right? Like, that's okay. As a young professional right out of college, like, you know, the most, like, insecure I'd ever be and, like, the most unsure and also, like, without, like, a, you know, college friend group, I was, yeah, it was, it was not fun. Um, and so then I left there and lived in Brazil for a little while because I wanted to do the exact opposite of whatever Boston was. And I'm pretty sure Rio de Janeiro is the exact opposite of Boston. Um, so, yeah, I went there. Um, and yeah, so pretty much, and, and then I've also had nomadic periods. So those are like the kind of three buckets of places I've lived besides New York. But like most of my life, including growing up, like kindergarten through 12th grade has been in New York. That's so rare to meet like a New Yorker who properly like grew up in New York because everyone just comes from everywhere, stays for a few years. And then like, what's the rule? If you've been there for seven years, you're considered a New Yorker. You definitely have like New Yorker vibes. <laughs> I've heard the opposite that like I'm too friendly and like, because I, I actually really don't like, if I had to describe what New York culture is, what is the thing that binds New Yorkers together? It's, it's pretty much complaining about people or being frustrated or in a rush, right? And you can see this by looking at the ads on the subway. So the ads on the subway have to, tar like for example, a food delivery ad targets pretty much everyone because everyone needs to eat. And so you can look at the copy of a food delivery ad to see what do people think is the common thread of culture in New York. And a lot of it is they'll make jokes about frustrations with dating. They'll make jokes about how people are in a rush, about other people are in the way. Um, and so like, yeah, the commonality, I think, is pretty toxic in New York. That said, of course, New York has a bunch of different kinds of people and there's like great people within and subcultures within. Um, yeah, it's just not built on a super like connection oriented and like loving base, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, I could definitely see that. Like, so when I was in New York, I felt like um, everyone was super focused on efficiency, like doing their best. And definitely like in my time, there was this glamification, glamorizing of um, like being busy all the time, right? Like you wanted to, like, that's how you showed off how important, like how awesome you yeah. were. What do you think of this like movement? Not only in crypto, I feel like definitely with just generally more progressive folks, there's been this yeah. trend toward like polyamory. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, there's, I think it didn't really appeal to me in, um, in the forms that I had seen it. Uh, and then I stumbled on another form of it, which I think did make a lot of sense to me. Uh, and so the two types are, for, for our purposes, I'll label them. Um, one is called like free love polyamory. Uh, and the other you could call like uh, evolutionary polyamory. Uh, and so one is basically based on some um, uh, assumptions or ideas about how love and jealousy ought to be. So, oh, by the way, all these ideas, if... Uh, they're interesting. Um, uh, there are two uh, evolutionary psychology professors called um, Jeffrey Miller and Diana Fleischman who are in a polyamorous relationship with each other. Um, and they talk about this and they're the ones who in their videos uh, described a form of polyamory that makes sense to me. So 
they basically were talking about how uh, so one of the big differences is like, do you think jealousy is a social construct versus jealousy is something that exists for a really good reason and was selected for? Um, and I think a lot of there's uh, like, you know, extremely strong evidence that it's in the latter camp because it's not just uh, humans that display sexual jealousy. It's also other a lot of other primates and mammals. Um, and uh, so I, I think when when I heard it phrased in more of a uh, this evolutionary psychology way, um, what I realized was they could say things that would or would not be likely to work. So I think like free love polyamorous and people who are a little more um, like, like they just want to be with whoever they want to be. Um, like it feels a little bit like escaping responsibility to me. Whereas like the Evo psych polyamory is like, Hey, there's probably some polyamorous tendencies in some portion of the population. So if that's the case, these are some tactics and things you can do to make your relationships more stable. Um, so for example, like it's a really wide spectrum and like, uh, like I would consider, you know, for the sake of even making a singular pair bond more stable, like a couple of like, you know, extramarital things over the course of a marriage or something might make that a lot more stable or like the occasional hall pass or something like that. Um, and it just, it prevents it from being this all or nothing dichotomy. So yeah, I think another problem, I think Dan Savage talks about this is people hear polyamory and they think, oh, I'm supposed to just like be okay with my partner fucking whoever else at whatever time. And that's not the case. That's one far end of a spectrum. Um, but there's a lot of other things there. And probably the most stable configurations are what are termed uh, like monogamish, which is like pretty much monogamous, but just with like, you know, slight rules around other things you can do. Um, yeah, I want to do some more like reading and stuff on this. Like Esther Perel is something I'd probably want to read and see what she says about read like the state of affairs and she was, she says about relationships and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I basically be going for like, my view is like, okay, I want this configuration with me and my partner that I love to be the most stable possible. And I actually think that pure monogamy is unlikely to be very stable. And also that kind of blow the door off the hinges polyamory that I was talking about is also very unlikely to be stable, but the most stable is probably going to be something in between more on the monogamous end. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I like the idea that there has to be some type of flexibility and there could be a spectrum of possibilities for whatever like works with you and your partner or however many partners you decide on. Um, I think that like makes a lot of sense because nothing we do in life is like really, you know, strict, for example, in general. And I think that's also like a trend I see with veganism as well, where we try to make vegans feel super guilty if they like had a chicken nugget in a span of five years. But yeah. like even animals in the wild who are vegan by default will eat something opportunistically if there's like not many other options around. So yeah, also like being a purist about it probably doesn't help a lot of people because it would like it would be better from the perspective of animal suffering to be a 50 percent vegetarian. But if people come at you and say, oh, you're not a real vegetarian, then you might think, oh, I might as well just eat meat all the time. But that's actually a worse situation. So I remember I had a colleague in Boston. She was a 
I forgot what she called herself. I think she called herself like a baconarian or something, where she was a vegetarian except for bacon because she found that was the hardest part of giving up meat. And so she was like, okay, I'll just give up everything else, but I'll say okay to bacon. And I thought that was really smart because it's like, okay, like this is what you can manage right now. You can manage to give up all these other forms of meat, but you can't manage to give up bacon. So fine, like you're pretty much a vegetarian. You just occasionally eat bacon and then... Yeah, you're like 95% of the way there. Yeah, definitely. And I think going back to jealousy, it's such an interesting concept because we kind of tie loyalty to just like having sex with someone. But clearly Mm. in a relationship, the benefits and more important things about it are completely outside of sex itself. It's like, um, you know, all the things like even even finances, which could be a big deal, but the emotional support that you get from each other and that type of loyalty is probably a lot more important than just oh my God, like you're not allowed to look at anyone else. Yeah, 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 totally. Like it is at the end of the day about like shared investment. I'm reading The Selfish Gene right now, which is amazing. Oh my gosh, list. Okay, yeah, I would, I would move, like I'm not someone who recommends books very liberally because I understand like there's actually not many books you can read in a lifetime compared to the number of books there are. Like everyone has their own things. But I found Selfish Gene to be, I'm finding it to be amazing. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let me read it and then we'll have to have a catch up on this. Yeah. Yeah. So like what other things are top of mind for you? Um, kind of like in your personal and professional life? Um, so yeah, I think the uh, professional life, it's, you know, a lot about this different stage of the startup is growing adoption of our product, AMKT. Um, and, uh, like just growing awareness about indexing in general and how it's a, you know, responsible way to get exposure to a space if you want to get exposure to a space. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's funny cause we've been in like build, build, build mode. And, uh, then like suddenly a lot of that shifted. So like the kinds of questions we're asking in the startup are totally different. The, you know, the, the things that are occupying our minds are totally different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, I want to backtrack from him. So how does it feel coming back to New York and living there? Like, you know, what kind of lifestyle do you foresee yourself in with travel and like place to be? Yeah. So, oh, actually, one place I forgot to mention that I lived is Austin. And that was a significant um, like time in my life, too. Like Austin was amazing. Um, so I left New York for a reason. And it's because I was lonely and I didn't really like New York. And so when I came back, I was like, okay, like this is probably going to be a slog um, and it's going to be more difficult. Uh, But what I realized was that I I think that I needed my life to be set up in a certain way in New York that wasn't before. And I think I also needed a lot more courage and uh, like like groundedness and like to know what I wanted more um, because New York was pushing me around a lot. And like I felt really like lonely and insecure in it before. And so I came back to New York and like with the kind of friendliness of Austin kind of like embedded in me. uh, And I've been like trying to like spread that and also going into an office every day with people that I love spending time with at alongside. That's been awesome too. So like it feels totally different to like this decision to come back to New York felt um, like it was probably going to be really hard. And there were some hard parts initially, but it's been easier than I expected. 
I feel like I want to dive into this insecurity. So I'm looking at this like super handsome guy, started a very successful startup, really yeah, killing it. Rarely. Where is this from? What, what happened? Oh, Well, so like one, you know, it's still early days for the startup. Like a lot of startups fail. Like we are, uh, yeah, like I, w- I would I would call us promising, you know, not successful, right? We're successful maybe in a few years from now, um, but don't want to get high on our own supply. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, um, yeah, I don't know when I was, when I was growing up, I don't think I, uh, I don't think I like was very intuitive about like people's emotions and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that I have like multiple sides to my personality. Like one is a side that is very playful and fun loving and intuitive. And then the other side is, uh, very rational and um kind of calculating and i think like the i I probably like i I was basically just like a nerd that like wasn't really good at i think it was just like you know insecurity from popularity in high school like as weird as it is to say i think that that phrase that like a lot of people are trying to prove or disprove who they are in high school is pretty true and so like there was just remnants of that for a long time um yeah Yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. I'm going to let that sink with me for a while. Okay. Um, Going back to the startup. So how did you get into crypto? Like, what was your journey there? So I was uh, in Brazil, uh, like I was talking about before, um, and basically doing nothing productive. I was just like partying and uh, like waking up really late and going to the beach. Um, And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I, I just left Microsoft where I was working on kind of the engineering side of uh, machine learning related, uh, a machine learning related library. Uh, and so I was like, okay, what do I want to do? Uh, like every aimless engineer, I considered like VR stuff. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like maybe VR games is what I'm going to do. Um, and then that just seemed really annoying, like debugging with like a headset and stuff like that. I was like, no, screw that. Um, and it also just didn't feel like the kind of programming I wanted to do, which is one of the reasons why I left the machine learning space was because I realized, oh, I, like I don't actually, I don't actually like what the research feels like here. And I like thought that I was going to be a machine learning researcher, um, but this doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel as much like it doesn't feel like engineering and like computer science as much. Um, and so uh, I looked at blockchain um, primarily not for its like uh, kind of social applications or it's uh just disruptive applications in general but because it was the cool thing that had the most opportunity for me to actually apply deeper computer science concepts like you actually need to in the process of you know talking about and i'll go into like why but like talking about um these blockchain protocols you actually do need to understand tree structures and uh, a lot of things about data throughput and um, like network topology and stuff like that, which are really cool. And a lot of other web or like, you know, a lot of other back end or web engineering felt like just plugging existing pieces together, like plumbing. Um, and so I got a job. I, I, I did like a period of self-study where like I went to this amazing um, uh retreat in brooklyn called recur center it's like a writer's retreat but for programmers 
Uh, so people, programmers go there to sharpen their skills, learn new tools, work with other people who want to learn the same things. And so I went there and it's completely self-directed. There's no like curriculum or anything. They just dump a bunch of programmers in a batch for like, I think it's like six to 12 weeks or something. And you're like with your batch mates and you're just doing whatever, learning whatever. People are talking about cool programming concepts, you know, in various conference rooms and you can walk in and, you know, it, it's really fun. Highly recommend to any engineers who are in between things right now to just apply for a curse center. Um, so uh, I, I was just like learning blockchain there with a view towards like getting a job in the space. And I did get a job working on uh, an Ethereum client called Besu, uh, which is still around. So uh, it's, it's, still an, it's an execution client on Ethereum. Uh, and then so like worked on that for a few years. Uh, like at first I was just like working on the client and then I started contributing to the all core devs calls. Um, and yeah, so that involved like looking at Ethereum improvement proposals and like thinking about their security and stuff like that, giving opinions on that and then implementing them, testing them. Um, yeah. And so that's why like when there were a bunch of like, there was an initiative I remember called stateless Ethereum. And, you know, that had a lot to do with, uh, generating witnesses to be propagated alongside blocks so that uh, blocks didn't have to hold all the state. And uh, that was really cool because I'm like, oh, for my job, I'm actually looking into these tree structures and seeing, okay, what does a, what, you know, what does a witness need to have against this tree structure in order to be useful? Um, yeah, so it just, like, I, I mainly got into it for the, for the, uh, like, access to, being able to think about deeper computer science concepts. But, um, you know, as a lot of people find out when they're in the crypto space, then you get really pilled on all of the uh, benefits, you know, the social benefits for it, uh, or uh, I'll, I'll make it less uh, positive, like the social upheavals, right? Um, because I do think they're positive, but like, who knows? Technologies come with positives and negatives. So like, whatever, I got excited about all the social changes, you know, like, oh, uh, democracy, liquid democracy on chain was super exciting to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think one of the most exciting things about blockchain that has drawn so much talent is the intellectual part of it, where you're able to kind of do more conceptual philosophical concepts and try to implement it in real life. Yeah. Um, out of curiosity, like, what do you think of gaming and blockchain? Is it a mm. thing? I mean, it's a thing, but should it be a thing? I haven't thought about it much. I think that I'll be explicit in the way that I'm deferring to uh, someone else's opinion, uh, which is that the there's there's multiple kinds of gaming. Uh, so the, so so I this take is pretty much from what I read from I think Hasu. Uh, he was like hot take. You know I think gaming is like a detriment to society or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Could be totally wrong, but. Basically, it was very anti-gaming. I don't know. Did you see this tweet? I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, So Okay. okay. So, um, and so he expanded. He was like, okay, there's multiple kinds of gaming, right? There's some that, like, you could even classify as art. You sit down. It's a whole experience. You know, you're, you're led through this story. You get to play this story. And at the end, you feel some kind of way akin to what books make you feel or something. This is what I'm, like, reading in between the lines of what he was saying. And then there's like the uh, like candy crushes and like these other, uh, you know, these like f free to play freemium games or whatever, 
that are just basically trying to like show shiny things to you. And they're, they're just like slot machines, basically. Uh, they're just modern equivalents of slot machines. And um, I think that uh, there's no reason why both won't con continue to exist. But if I had to guess like which one will be able to benefit more from crypto, it's probably the slot machine-y type things. Um, because I don't think the other things need that much of a plug-in to like uh, a settlement layer, uh, which allows you to like natively transfer transfer assets and things between games. I, they will use it. Don't get me wrong. Like they will absolutely use it. Um, but I don't think that there's a chance that it'll make those like um, like uh, like like the way that it will. Um, impact the slot machine sector is much stronger than it'll impact the art gaming sector. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a solid call. And kind of going <laughs> off of that, um, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think I've thought, like, I've thought through the gaming aspect a lot because when I was in VC, we were thinking a lot about whether or not it's a sub-vertical that we wanted to invest into. But I think it was hard to be super bullish because what ends up happening is like there's really no reason that it has to be computed that way in terms of using like blockchain technology in that particular use case. And so ultimately, like you try to think about what, what would make something centralized more efficient and what would make decentralized use cases more efficient. And I just wasn't really convinced that gaming, especially the way that gaming studios work in general as a business, was really yeah. conducive to that type of model. Um, yeah. yeah. And so like, are there other use cases besides DeFi that you are particularly bullish on when it comes to crypto? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, so yeah, obviously DeFi is a really big one. Um, I think it's going to be really cool for like just putting more processes on chain as well, like having more, uh, more things that are just you know, you provide a proof and then it just gets verified in this contract. And then that gives you rights or access to do something. Um, governance, of course, governance of all kinds, because in the legal system. Yeah, actually, this is, this is the thing that I'm super excited about is the idea of having like oracles as judges uh, and then uh, like looking to the blockchain as the source of truth for the legal system. And that's going to be something that takes a long time to change, um, like decades, probably. Um, because it, like the legal system refers to some things as the source of truth, like for your house, it's probably like a deed, right? But eventually that will change. It's like this thing on chain will be the source of truth. And eventually the whole system will go on chain. That doesn't mean you can't, you, you won't have oracles. Like you'll still have, uh, like a judicial system with judges and stuff like that. But you could also imagine instead of a judge, it's more like directly a jury that then like their answers get, um, you know, medianized into some kind of Oracle input. Um, so yeah, I'm super interested in like legal processes going on chain. Um, and I think there's also like, uh, I think there's also like a blockchain component to, um, I, I, it's been a long time since I looked into it, but there's a um, Macy, uh, minimal anti-collusion infrastructure. And <clears throat> it's like the set of, systems and primitives you need to basically do good electronic voting. Um, because 
unless you have a lot of the properties that it has, like one of them is like receiptlessness, which means it's impossible for you to prove how you voted. Because if you could prove how you voted, then someone could uh, bribe you or threaten you to vote a certain way. But if it's impossible for you to prove that, then without them being physically next to you, right? Like if they're physically next to you, then of course they can see how you voted. But like uh, with, um, you know, with some kind of um, data that you can transfer, there's no way for you to transfer data to them that says like, hey, this is the way that I voted. Um, then, uh, then you can actually start having like, you know, electronic voting systems that are better than the current systems. Until you have all these properties, you don't want to use electronic voting. Physical voting is actually great. It's hard to tamper with, um, but yeah. Yeah, interesting. Wait, so on the oracles um, in the judicial system, who's mm -hmm. vote, like who's voting? Does this kind of like link together then? Because I was just wondering where the data is coming from. I'm so, yeah, like, I'm kind of well like social systems on chain, but. Yeah, I mean, well, you can think of a, a jury as a small social system, right? Like how they get selected and what their process is, is like, uh, is a aspect of the mechanism design. But so you're to Kleros. So the way it works is that you basically have uh, some token. I think it starts with like a P. I don't know why. Maybe PNK or something like that. But let's just call it there. For our purposes, let's just call it the Kleros token. So you got people with the Kleros token and uh, they can sign up for various different types of things to be uh, arbitrators on. And then uh, when someone submits a request, then some... Uh, set of them based on their amount of that token get selected to be on this jury of sorts. And then they all have to say what they think other people will say. So this is called, I think Vitalik had a post called shelling coin. So the idea is that uh, one way to, uh, one way to try to converge on the truth is for everyone to try to say what they think everyone else is going to say. This is not a hundred percent certain, but if you don't have communication with other people, uh, and so a shelling point is, you know, the, the actions people take in absence of communication with one another, in absence of coordination. So if you're like, I don't know what the other people are going to say, but I want to make sure that I'm saying the same thing as the majority of the other coins, um, I'll just say the truth, right? For some like, you know, easy question, like, is this prime, right? You would just be like, yeah, why would I say the wrong answer? I'm almost like everyone's going to say the right answer. So for some subset of issues, and I'm sure we could find edge cases, like that kind of approximates a process that uh, incentivizes people to say what they think is true. So that's like one way that like juries already can work on chain. I haven't thought too deeply about like if that's extremely flawed in some other way. Um, but yeah, like the way I'm excited about it is not like exactly uh, that it needs to have extremely at least to look extremely differently from the current system because i think there is like our current systems of governance and social processes have a lot of bad things in them but also obviously must have a lot of wisdom in them that's why they've gotten to the point they've gotten to so uh it wouldn't be surprising if like you know the uh the on-chain equivalent is you know, similar in some ways, the current system, different in other ways. Like we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater and have like everything look completely differently. That said, yeah, maybe there are like types of uh, types of cases that you do want some 
behind the Oracle to be some extremely large, like very inclusive process. Um, but yeah, I mean, now we're just getting like too abstract. <laughs> no, but I like it. Code is law and all these anti-collusion mechanisms. So mm -hmm. definitely interesting cases to think about. Do you have a chain that you're most bullish on and one that you're least bullish on or like ones that you think are under or overvalued? Mm, yeah, I, I think that like I, uh, I, I personally know the Ethereum space really well. And so I, if we're talking about my feelings, I feel very bullish about Ethereum. Um, I also think that you know, at times I wonder like, okay, do I have a blind spot because I worked on Ethereum? I know people who work on Ethereum, like, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of the crypto that I have bought, you know, in the past has been Ethereum. Same thing can be said about Bitcoin, although I have never worked on Bitcoin. Um, so like, I'm always open to things that are like showing me my blind spots. And I think that we're at, we're at the time where, you know, people can, people can question like the um, uh, the the crypto market, but over time, more and more, it will become just like the equity markets, where I am not going to pretend to know better than the equity markets, like almost ever, right? I will just buy an index, and that's why, like, alongside was so exciting to me because you know, however people feel now, and the, and the fact of the matter is, a lot of people are still very tribal about crypto and have their opinions about. Tribal is kind of like a straw man or like a pejorative, but I'll say that people have their opinions, whether uh, whether correct or not. Right? It's a very opinionated space. Like that is short lived by necessity. Like when markets get more efficient and more people participate in them. Uh, sorry, th that's circular. When more people participate in them and there's more capital, lower barriers to entry, they get more efficient. When they're more efficient, there is less room for you to um, do better than the market by your own um by your own kind of opinions so yeah i think it's like directionally like yeah i'm still i still feel very bullish on ethereum um but i think the space is going you know where every other space is going where the market will ultimately um you know flush out bad projects and allocate to good projects um so my question on a lawn side is who are the final um yay or nay seer see Sayers on the actual allocation of the index? So the uh, index is market cap weighted. And um, so there is some discretion involved, um, but the discretion is essentially, it's more limitations. It's not really, it's not as much our discretion. So we can't custody certain assets in Coinbase because um, like they don't support them. And so because they don't support them, they're not included in MKT. However, they're still included in the index. So this is probably a good good time to distinguish between the index and the token. So an index is just a number. It's just a calculation and a number. And so that can exist independent of any implementations of it. So for a long time, actually, the S&P 500 existed, but there was no way to buy a token, or sorry, buy um, like an asset that tracked the S&P 500. Uh, and then uh, index products were created that track all sorts of things. Uh, so there's no limitations to uh, the actual AMKT index. That includes all sorts of assets. What we do do is we remove things that would double count assets. So for example, we don't include Bitcoin and wrapped Bitcoin separately because each wrapped Bitcoin is backed by Bitcoin. We only include the market cap of, of Bitcoin. And, 
likewise, we don't include assets that um, uh, are not actually related to like their their value doesn't go up or down in relation like because of advances in blockchain or cryptography. So stable coins is a good example. Like a stable coin is not actually something that you want exposure to if the what you want to do is track how well the crypto market is doing. So the, the, there's that form of discretion, but it's like very minimal. And it's actually just to just to get to like, okay, these are actually assets that represent the crypto space. Uh, and then beyond that, the weightings are all like weighted by market cap. Uh, yeah. So like we don't decide that Bitcoin is... Uh, should be 60% of it, the market decides that Bitcoin is 60% because Bitcoin is just massive. So it's 60%, right? As of today, it's like 60% Bitcoin, 25% Ether, and then the rest of the 23 assets are that longer tail. Yeah. Makes sense. And also, when does the, or how does the 0.95% um, management fee get drawn? Okay, so uh, the uh, it, it's essentially through inflation. So the um, what happens is, in the smart contract is coded like the the inflation rate is coded and when um new tokens are created or destroyed by the creation of redemption mechanism these tokens are uh basically the number of tokens that should be issued for inflation is calculated and then issued to the fee receiver got it cool and i'm sure this is all documented somewhere i just no it's fine it's fine i'm gonna do the thing i'm just gonna ask you since you're here yeah <laughs> Okay, trying to decide what turn we should make this. I have like this list of questions. Some of them are fun. Some of them are like personal. How do you want to go? Um, yeah, let's go for some fun ones, I guess. We've been kind of heavy for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we have. Um, okay, who's your best friend? Um, so I've got uh, a childhood best friend um, and I've got an adulthood best friend. Uh, and that that's like when I met them. So I met my childhood best friend, Walker, when I was 10. Um, and we bonded over primarily video games, um, which is what I thought at the time. Like, I thought we bonded over video games. What I realize now as an adult, him being like basically the only person I keep in touch with from like high school and before. Oh, no, I have a few more. But like, like one of the few people I keep in touch with. Um, like the reason he, uh, he, he's just very like intellectually honest, I think, and fair. Uh, and so for someone who was questioning things uh, in a way that like a lot of people found annoying when I was a kid, like just that rational side of me, um, he would entertain that uh, and is just very loving and uh, very empathetic. Um, and yeah, so that's Walker. And then... John Donner is my adulthood best friend. I met him like a few years ago uh, and we just have like an insane amount of lifestyle things in common and also like often struggle with the same problems. And so like we can like at, like we can we just yeah, understand what the other person is going through. So yeah, we lived in Austin together. Um, we love to go to like dance events uh, and like listen to the same kind of music and like uh, work out and like not stay up too late and work on startups. He also is a founder. Um, so just like so much alignment. It's insane. Yeah. We have something really special. We, yeah, I love Like an insane bromance. Like, okay, get this. We have a Rye and Donner. So I call him Donner. A Rye and Donner reunion fund. 
So we both put $100 into this fund every month. And we where uh, and, and that fund is only to be spent on us seeing each other. So like he lives in Lisbon right now. So we can use that money to buy him a plane ticket out to New York or buy me a plane ticket out to Lisbon. And the reason we structured it this way is that if we don't get to see each other for a while because life got in the way, like things are super busy, the fund just grows and then we can do something crazier and more extravagant, right? So like if, you know, if like four months goes by and uh, well, I guess that's not too much money, that's 800 bucks. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We can't do anything extravagant with 800, I guess. But like, yeah, if, if more, like if we, we might also put in more money than a hundred bucks a month. Um, but yeah, the idea is like, we just set it aside because otherwise it's too easy for life to get in the way. And you're like, oh, like I didn't budget for this. You know, I don't have the money for it this month, maybe next month, something always comes up. But you, but if you set aside that money, you never miss it. Like you never notice that a hundred bucks is gone a month. You just are like, oh, you know, uh, and then you're like, oh, wow, I, we have this money for, for uh, getting together. So let's go do a trip. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was going to be um, a follow-up question, how regularly <laughs> you see them. Um, and yeah. definitely that is a thing. But I love the creative stroke here. I think that really works. Did you it, ever... It um, by, um, uh, uh, Ramit Sethi, in his book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, he talks about like setting up an aut- automated systems of your finances and, like, and specifically saving for other goals. And uh, I don't have too many other goals or things I'm saving for, but like... Examples include like people saving for their wedding before they have their, before they even have met a partner, uh, which makes sense because people spend a, you're cringing right now, but like, uh, what's, what's more cringe, like doing that or when you do have a partner going into debt for your wedding? Cause some people do that. <laughs> both are cringe. <laughs> yeah, both are cringe, but yeah. I mean, if you know you're going to spend a shit ton on your wedding, then you might as well start saving for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, what was I going to say, though? Oh, did you, like, ever read that article from, I think, um, But Why or Why Not? Like, that guy, like, Tim Urban, I think, um, where he, yeah, yeah, where he um, did that thing where there were two articles separately. But one, he basically defined our life if we lived to, like, let's say about 80 on average, um, how many, like, right, yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah. That, I actually cried when I read that. <laughs> Yeah. I think about that all the time and it really affects my decisions. Like, I'm like, yeah, like this day with my mom is super valuable, you know? So I'm going to spend this day with my mom or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something to be said about kind of treating each day as your last, like not splurging, like spending all your money, but in the sense that like you really cherish each and every moment that you have with people and like important things yeah. in life. Yeah. Like this might sound a little morbid, but like I was walking with my mom to, like like marshals or something and like every time i'm with my mom uh or most of the times i'm with my mom like i love her so much that i can't help but think about her death and uh it inspires me to like to really just cherish that moment because i actually think there's there's a chance that you know anti-aging technology gets really good and like people who are alive today could be immortal um, but of course, like, you know, I'm not going to assume that's the case. So very high chances that she will die. And um, like, it just like the idea of that happening and like me not paying attention to her, uh, like just breaks my heart. And so like, I'm yeah, I'm always like very, uh, very aware of that when we're hanging out. 
for sure. Um, did you ever watch How I Met Your Mother? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like actually really bad now that I'm like older and watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> like this one episode though, where I can't remember, like the um the lawyer guy, like his dad passed away, and they spend the entire episode trying to find what was the last thing that he said to him that day. Um, and so like they go through like these little yeah of like what what it was because he was worried and stuff like that um yeah so definitely there was one more thing i wanted to say but i totally can't recall it (laughs) so when are you going to new york i oh that was the other thing i wanted to ask so like your mom marshall's does she live in jersey no but she she just loves marshall's there's a marshall's on 125th street in manhattan oh yeah um, yeah, so like I'm in Jersey. I go to Marshalls with my mom all the time. She'll be like, I just want to look around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm actually just 40 minutes away. I'm just being like hermit and like. Oh, sitting. okay. Wait, do you live in Jersey? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. For some reason, like, uh, does your bio say that you're visiting New York or something like that? It sounded oh. like you were way further away. That like you're like, oh, I'm going to be in New York. So I was in London for until, yeah, December, and then I came home for the holidays, and I now have just, like, been home in Jersey. But usually I go back and forth between New York and London. Okay, okay, so, okay. I see, okay. Yeah. How do you like London? Um, I literally did not like it. I was mugged twice. It is such a ghetto city. Like, what? like uh, Quality of life, to be honest, is so much lower than America in general. Wow. What? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, like like, it's like, I think that there's just such a huge class difference there. And it's become really defined um, by accessibility and also cost. So in New York, like, um, well, people make a lot more. I think people make a lot more in New York, um, whereas like, you know, I think going to a bar and paying like $20 for a cocktail, that's really like on the higher end. But like in New York, there are a lot of options that are in between where if you pay like $14 for a cocktail, you're in a pretty nice place. Like you're having a good time and you like have the ability to pay for it. Whereas like in London, salaries are a lot lower. Alcohol is the same price. And there's not many like good options in between where you're paying $14 for a cocktail and like still having a really good time. Like you're probably on like another spectrum. So that's kind of how, yeah, that was my take on London. So I, kind of prefer New York in terms of like a hedonistic lifestyle. Okay. Okay. So you, are you a hedonist? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. I'm struggling. I'm a recovering hedonist is what I would say. Okay. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that like for some reason England or Britain just seems like it's funny just because it, it, it used to be such a prosperous global center and now it just kind of feels like what are you guys doing over there like i don't understand like what yeah it just just feels kind of odd because they still have that posh accents but like in in my mind this their status as like a country has gone down a lot if that makes sense like it doesn't feel like they're relevant is is what i'm saying um yeah yeah. i would say that's true i feel like they're they're like still english speaking which i feel like gives them street cred because america is like aligned with that But I think in terms of, like, historical prowess ever since World War II, ironically, because they won, um, it's kind of been, like, taken over by uh, other countries being more dominant in every sector. Hmm. Yeah, let's get into politics now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, no, I don't know anything about politics. No, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, but, I mean, you have you visited London? Yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah. My, si- my sister actually used to live there. What yeah. was her take? Uh, so she really liked it. She ended up moving to England. Um, she lives in England now. Um, she met her, like, now husband there. I feel like we so- need to bring her on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's like, She's a- <laughs> um yeah she yeah i think she liked that um i think she liked that it was a little more like classy um in you know certain respects um and i do find that like when i'm there i can probably connect with more i don't know it's weird because there is this like british like hedonism get drunk thing that i don't connect with too much um but like they're and i also they also have very like closed off culture in general um but i do think that like there's there's a lot more like surprising intellectualism there that's like compared to the us um which is good like i remember this comedian after like a show we ran into him on the tube and like i assumed that he wouldn't knew know like how many dimensions like M theory and string theory required and like because he's a comedian and like comedians in the US don't know that shit (laughs) but he did and I was like oh wow like yeah I just got the sense from that and other interactions that like a lot of Brits knew their shit a lot more yeah yeah I would say that's probably true but how did you get on string theory with the comedian on the tube I think he like mentioned something in his set or something I don't know Cut, cut this part out of the out of the recording. <laughs> I'm not. I don't want to talk about this like mildly racist British thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but that's so funny. Yeah, like there are certain things I do love about London, but like I mean, especially like growing up in New York, people are like, oh, isn't New York just as dangerous as London? I lived in New York for like years, and you've like grew up in New York. I have never, ever had someone swipe a phone out of my freaking hand as I'm walking down. I got, like, I that- got, like, I got punched once. Like, like, like it, it was, like, a violent mugging. Like, the guy came out and, like, he was, like, hiding in the shadows. And I was walking home at, like, 2 a.m. And he came out of nowhere and punched me in the face. And I was, like, <laughs> so dazed. I was so dazed that I didn't know what was going on. And I just, like, tried to get back up by, like, grabbing onto his pants and using that like him to like help me back up i was like whoa and i just like tried to, and then he just punched me again yeah oh my god how old were you i was uh 22 23 yeah and this was recent in new york yeah this is like i mean i'm 29 now so it was like seven years ago six years ago yeah oh my god that's like pre-pandemic yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> The, okay, getting okay. You really have drawn out so many vulnerabilities, and I'm brave. I'm going to publish all of this. Okay. Um, there are a lot of young people who work in crypto, and I, I've I felt old for a long time. In my company, I was like the oldest person. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's like youth um, correlates with openness to new ideas and new structures of things, and it's less unfamiliar. And obviously, all traits are distributed. And so, like, as an individual, like, you should just, like, probably you being an older person in crypto is an indication that, like, you have, and I, I think this of myself too, right, is that, like, we have, um, 
like a higher degree of like, um, like what, what is that trait? There's like five personality traits, like openness to experience or something like that. Um, Which, cause you, you have to change the way you think about a lot of things, uh, when you work in crypto. Um, and so like, there's also like, okay, were you exposed to it at the right time when you were philosophically, um, like pliable? Because I think a lot of people also like the, the, th- the ideas and philosophers that I like were exposed, was exposed to when I was in my, you know, like high school and early twenties are probably like, are still very influential to how I, how I think today. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people. So it's like, if you get exposed to these new philosophies at that age, then you can get really excited about them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And going off of that, there's definitely this added layer of insecurity because in order for me to build my career, I did have to start kind of like over and I didn't really even know about crypto until um, like, I think April, 2022. And so mm-hmm. there's been so much catching up and everyone around me knows a lot more. So it's been kind of like a race to feel a little bit more established. Oh, yeah. um, but definitely now, I remember what. And now this space like is moving, like the space just moves faster and faster and it's like becomes harder to keep up with. Um, yeah. I used to like, uh, I think I used to be on Twitter more in order to keep up with things, but I found, I, th- I think like really people are annoyed by newsletters, but if you find a great newsletter that you really trust, like it's awesome because you can be like, cool, I'm just going to make it a priority to read this newsletter, like all the items, like learn about what's going on in the space. And for me, at least for the Ethereum space, that's Week in Ethereum News. I think that's an amazing newsletter. I read that. It also tells me updates on how EIPs are going so I can stay like tapped into the protocol space, even though it doesn't affect my day to day. Like, you know, it's the thing that I cut my teeth on. I'm, I'm still interested in what's going on in the protocol space. I, I have friends there. Um, so like uh, for a while, I felt like disconnected from that and kind of like sad about that. But now I get to like, you know, keep up with that. And then it also talks about hacks, um, like what are, what are major hacks. It links out to um like hack reviews which are important as well like this is like thinking about security is something that's newer to me um and is like something that's really important for alongside um but yeah like how like how do security people like keep up with things they read these things and see oh what are all the new hacks how did people pull it off oh wow i didn't know that was a type of vulnerability that could exist you know and then it just like gets lodged in their heads. And after a while, they're like, if you ever talk to a security researcher, they're just like a well of this like random information that like you would never, you could never Google correctly. Um, maybe ChatGPT will help with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah. I think it, important. Yeah. Um, the security researchers probably have trouble sleeping at night, I think. It's just <laughs> such a pressure job. Yeah. I mean, I think the worst is like knowing that security is a problem, but not being like super uh, in depth yourself on it. Uh, and so like, I'm ramping up a lot to that right now. Uh, I've been working with like some security advisors that uh, are like our investor, like offers to his portfolio companies. Like you can just, you know, consult with our security people. That's been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like one of the most memorable moments for me before I got into crypto was, uh, my friends, like seven years ago, I don't know, like really long time ago, when Bitcoin was eighty dollars, he was telling yeah. me that he's putting his entire life savings, his family savings, every like 
every piece of money he could get his hands on into Bitcoin. And he's like, you should do it. And I was like, no, it's insane. Like, how can how can some random digital currency like fake money compete with like real fiat? Like you're yeah. you're wild, you're gonna lose everything. Um, he's a secret billionaire now. And I look back and it's just like I wish so I don't know if it's the same for you, but I feel like getting convinced about like blockchain really took exposure over time. Like hearing it over and over again, like seeing how it works with like little experiments was yeah. more important than like a one time someone offering you Bitcoin for like $25. Yeah. Um, so would love to hear like any stories you have there, but also like more personally what or professionally, what has been the hardest decision you've ever had to make in your life and how did you approach it? Okay. Um, so I guess first question about the exposure to crypto. Um First of all, I don't think you should ever feel bad for uh, not making a for uh, not making a financial decision out of FOMO because it just so happened that this person showed you Bitcoin, uh, but they could have showed you something else, um, and like it would have been extremely high risk, and you would have been like, "Oh, I shouldn't have listened to that." So basically, what you'd be doing is called outcoming. Is you're judging a decision by its outcome. Um, when like you can make great decisions that turn out bad and you can make bad decisions that turn out great. So like the process is what I always look at. And if the process was like, oh, I tell people to, I'm sorry, I, I do what people tell me just in case, you know, I miss out. Um, that's usually bad. It, it's, a, it's actually an okay strategy if you really trust the person. Um, and yeah, so uh, for some things, like there are some people who, if they told me like, you should get into this, I'd be like, okay, I'll put some money in that because like, I trust you so much. Uh, so where was I? Oh yeah. So like general stories. Exposure, um, like Exposure to it. Yeah. Okay. So um, when, when I first came across Bitcoin was in high school um, because I wanted to buy with it. Um, and actually, okay, hold on. I don't think, I don't think I want that this publicized. So okay. <laughs> let, let me go back. When I first uh, when I first came in contact with Bitcoin, um, it was in high school, uh, and I actually did try to get some of it, but I needed a bank account to wire to Mount Gox or something like that, and I knew that my parents would be immediately suspicious if I asked them for my bank account details because we had like a shared account. I didn't know how to access it. Um, I would need like the routing number, or whatever. So I just knew that I couldn't do that. Um, and that doesn't bother me too much because I probably wouldn't have figured out self-custody at that age and would have just been in probably Mount Gox. And so I would have lost it anyways. Um, so yeah, no, no real problem there. I have no recollection of it in college, which is crazy. I don't remember anyone ever mentioning it in college. Um, but yeah, a few years later. Not play World of Warcraft? What? You didn't play World of Warcraft? Oh, I did. I played a lot of World of Warcraft. Yeah. It was like literally in there. I don't know. I guess I just did not care about it. Like I was like, like it just completely missed me. I don't, I don't have any recollection of it, it since between trying to buy Bitcoin in high school and uh, looking into it in um, uh, when I was in Brazil in like 2017 or something. Or having the time of your life. <laughs> yeah, uh, like honestly, it, 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 like it wasn't that. There was like good stuff about that trip. It wasn't that great. 
Um, I would, I think I would have a lot better time now. I just like was kind of aimless then, um, you know, as evidenced by the trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Uh, so yeah. And then like, that was the process of getting like really pilled. And then there was more layers of pilling once I joined consensus and started talking to people at consensus. Um, yeah, that's when I first heard the term DeFi, like, when I first started working on Ethereum, I didn't care about finance at all. Finance still pattern match to me is like, uh, like something that like for, for some reason it was like low prestige to me or like the or something, because I was thinking of like, I guess what the, how the media portrayed eighties wall street, right. That kind of thing. Or like how eight, the eighties wall street type of thing. I thought that's what finance people were. And then I, uh, got into crypto and realized that like, oh, there's this whole other space of like, you know, like quant finance people and like very technically minded finance people and it's its own technical discipline in its own right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to know about the hardest decision. Um, the hardest decision ever to make. Um, Hmm. It was probably, I don't, I don't know what I, what I like needed to decide on, but it was probably something related to, um, it was kind of a decision that I was thinking through that I didn't have to make. It was like when I, um, I almost got like kicked out of university because I, uh, was studying civil engineering and it was super boring. I didn't care about it at all. I've always been like someone who's motivated by things that I care about, but like uh, you can't like tell me what to do. Like you can't say like, like I, I, I was never one who like did homework because homework was assigned to me. It's like, what does that mean? Like just because you assigned it to me doesn't mean I should do it. Um, so like I was doing really poorly in my coursework um, and at the same time was like teaching myself programming on the side because that's what I actually cared about. Um, and so because of that, my grades dropped low enough that I had to like see like a committee, uh, and they would decide whether or not like I would remain in the school. Um, because like my school gave full tuition scholarships to everyone who went. So like if you're there, you're using that, uh, you're using that slot that someone else could be using. Uh, and like you have, you're using that money that someone else could be using. And so I'm sure I had a lot of uh, like nights where I was thinking about what I would do after, after this, if they decided to kick me out of college, which was like, it just sounded like the most horrible thing at the time. Right? I was like, no, I have to finish college. Funnily enough, both of my, like two of my co-founders, I got three co-founders, two of my co-founders didn't even go to college. Like they just went straight into the startup scene. Um, so yeah, like, Goes to show, maybe I, maybe I would have been fine, but like, regardless, it was very important to me that I continued and finished my degree at the moment. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm sure I had times where I was thinking about like, what do I do after this? And, yeah. But I do love those kind of stories where you have like, you know, someone just win coming out of against societal rules and that framework that's been laid out for us. So very inspiring. <laughs> um, I have like so many more questions, but I, like. Really? Yeah. I mean, um, swing, swing alongside office. You should come meet everyone. Yeah. That would be really fun. Okay. I really want to do that. I'm going to book lunch with you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Do it. 
Okay, so um, let's end with like my lightning round questions because they're just fun and okay. quick. All right, sweet or savory? Uh, uh, usually savory, but not like snacky. So for snack, for like things that aren't like meals and cooked, I like um, I can only do sweet things of those. Like I don't, I never buy chips. I don't like, I don't really like chips or crackers or things like that. Like people eat pretzels. I don't, I don't get that. You know, like if it's savory, it has to be like in a meal, right? Like a flavorful meal. Uh, if it's not, if it's like snacky, it has to be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So do you have a favorite snack? Um, hmm. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, favorite thing that you've read recently? Oh, well, Selfish Gene, I'm loving. I'm, I'm, I just got to, so it, it looks like, so I'm 50% of the way through. So far, it's been all about genes. And now he's finally talking about memes because um, Richard Dawkins actually coined the term meme in this book. This is the origin of the word meme. Um, and the idea Dad. is that it's, it's a new, uh, it's an, like it was, a, it's an, memes are basically a uh, new form of life upon which natural selection um, exerts forces on. Uh, and so you sh should see some of those behaviors and ideas and stuff as well. Uh, so that's super exciting. It's already like, like blowing my mind some of the stuff that he's saying. Um, and then, yeah, so I'll go to Salvage Gene for now, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And kind of just reminded me, I think, when we were talking about in the beginning, um, do, like doing different types of things. I think one of the things that I, like sub subtext, I think one of the exciting things about our time, I can't say our generation because I'm a little bit older, but... Um, <laughs> is that we do have this openness and transparency where we've been like now we can say aloud all the things that everyone always thought but we're afraid to say so i think that's like mm -hmm. super cool i mean i i think there's so many taboos remaining right like we just if you look for them there's so many other things that like still can't be said you know um but yeah yeah progress um your favorite part of the day mm. I think um i think it's like my favorite part of the day is right after i finish the finish working out and i shower i go to like a nice gym like it's like a fancier more expensive gym workout you got great showers and you have this grapefruit soap that i love um yeah and uh, afterwards i'm like feeling like a million bucks top of the world I want to say is it Equinox, but I don't think Equinox has fruity. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we have Kiehl's. What do you have? Yeah, it's it's Kiehl's. I think oh. the grapefruit soap is great. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> I love Equinox. I have to say, um, do you work to music or in silence? Um, I do work to music. Um, I, I can work in silence, but um, when I'm in the office, what I find is the office is like, uh, like. If I'm doing deep work at the office, I have to put in headphones and music because like people chatting around me distracts me. Mm. At home, like I, uh, I'll like find myself like coding in silence for a while, and then maybe I realize I'm getting distracted more. Sometimes music helps me focus, and so I, I'll put music on. Um, yeah, there's like a <laughs> at Recur Center. I met this dude who uh, 
he's he's a great guy absolutely not a psychopath but he did like a kind of psychopath move which is he would just listen to white noise or actually pink noise i think while he was coding so i was like oh what are you listening to and he gave me his headphones and he's just like and i was like oh my god and actually like if you go to spotify there are some like pink noise playlists that are like official spotify playlists that are like slightly melodic it's like slightly music but in general just noise so like that's also something that i'm going to experiment with um yeah that's really intense i experimented with like the different wavelengths and mm -hmm. right like i can't remember which ones are supposed to be really good for you like delta or alpha like on the spectrum one of them um but honestly it made me so like it, it, it was anxiety inducing for me so i realized like <laughs> yeah but that's really interesting. Um, okay, so your favorite series of all time, like entertainment series. Ah, um, well, wow, I wasn't, I'm surprised by what first popped into my head. But I think the reason this popped into my head is because it's the one that fewest people like, if even heard of, uh, but that I really love. Um, and it's called Episodes. And it's with uh, Matt LeBlanc and... Um, these two British actors, Tamsin something. Anyways, uh, it, it's hilarious because the show is about these award-winning comedian show writers, British comedian show writers, who wrote this witty, erudite series in the UK, won tons of awards, and then some like big shot LA uh, showbiz guy comes to them and says, we want you to do this in the US, you know, to a US audience. And they get completely like wrapped up in the idea of doing this at a large scale in LA. They move out to LA and then just, they just see basically the whole vision and um, uh, like life get like corrupted and turned upside down by show business in LA. Like, like the show is not like a witty show anymore. Matt LeBlanc uh, is cast in like as one of these characters um, and like Matt LeBlanc plays this like, he plays himself, Matt LeBlanc, but he, but he plays like an asshole Matt LeBlanc in the show. Um, yeah, like so it's an HBO show. So few people have heard of it, but I think it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Does it have like any relation to Curb Your Enthusiasm? Uh, no, it's not that style. It is funny, but it's not that style. Okay, yeah. interesting. Okay, I'm going to have to check this out. I'm kind of sold. I'm kind of sold right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, your idea of the best day or evening, like whatever. Ah, okay. So, yeah, I think, um, like, best day is um, I wake up, um, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm living with Donner. I wake up, we, like, uh, like, we go do, like, a workout or something, um, like, go lift weights, then I, like, study something that's like uh that's intriguing me that day um, or work on whatever project i'm working on that's not like a full-time thing uh and then in the evening we go to like uh or he it doesn't have to be with him but just like i go to a like dinner party yeah like a dinner party where there's good conversation and fun vibes yeah love it sounds nice Please yeah. invite, and then we'll play um, the stranger game. <laughs> yeah. um, best piece of advice you've ever received? 
Um, oh, wow. Um, I found the advice to try to be like good at two good at multiple things and then uh and then find something that's the intersection of those useful because I'm I'm a technical person but I'm not like the most technical person um I'm like a I'm like good with people but I'm not the most charismatic person but like those two things together aren't that common and so like I was like okay what can I do what can I do that's like intersection of those um and so that's why like i thought startups also made sense um yeah so i think and, and the first time i heard that from is from sam harris um oh and actually like i think probably the best advice is like everything i've heard on meditation retreat uh like almost everything um because it's generally advice and instructions of how to relate with, to your own mind while you're also like practicing it day in day out so you really get to see what people mean what the teachers mean when they talk about how we create suffering for ourselves um so yeah i think like basically the the book and app waking up as like the best advice out there you could say okay yeah noted um is there anyone in crypto you haven't had dinner with but would like to That I haven't had dinner with that I like to. Um, yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm trying to see if there's one that like stands out. This is the guy we're inviting to your best day ever. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I enjoy like a dinner party with with some of these people, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd be nice to have. Uh, dinner with maybe like Fred Ursham um, because I could ask him like everything about like his time at Coinbase and you know what he thinks Coinbase is going to be up to in the coming years but also ask him about Paradigm and what they're uh, what they're seeing like um, in the space what they're excited about stuff like that yeah yeah, cool. Setting up for your next round, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, who's your spirit animal? Ah, okay. Um, probably like a a big cat, maybe like a lion. Um, yeah. I love how you like started out with saying like vaguely, just as long as the big cat, that's fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a tiger sweater, so like you could say like that but like um yeah but i'm also a leo and i have like a mane a little bit so yeah i can see you as a leo like visually yeah <laughs> um all right uh if you drink your pick a poison uh i i'm on an espresso martini kick lately when i drink oh yeah that's really popular right now really delicious really dangerous <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and your latest music obsession? Oh, um, oh, yeah, hold on. Uh, so the song I've been listening to multiple times is, oh, so first of all, un, like, 
a non-consensual obsession. This song basically <laughs> invaded my brain uh, and I don't want it there, which is um, uh, what kind of Pokemon are you? So <laughs> it, yeah, so I played as a joke once in the office. I was playing the Pokemon like soundtrack. And uh, so there's obviously like, um, you know, I want to be the very best. Like that one is like very well known. In that same album is another song called What Kind of Pokemon Are You? And the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh my God, this is a jam. This is actually awesome. But it's super catchy. It's like way too catchy. And it was stuck in my head, uh, Donner's head, my co-founder's head. And like every time someone would like, like, like uh, hum a little bit of it, it would get stuck in other people's head. Like this, and then we just got so so mad at the song. Um, so that that's that's my non consensual obsession. Uh, Is it then, funny now? Uh, no, no. I think it's been a while. This was like a few weeks ago, so I think my brain has developed like uh, antibodies to this meme. Uh, yeah, like uh, these. Um, these last few days, I've been listening to So Much Time by Beyond Sunset, um, mm. just while coding. Uh, like, I did, like, a like a radio from that song. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And so I'm going to throw this last question in for me because I feel like it's just the theme. Clearly, you're a really, like, self-reflective person and also probably spiritual, I think. Do you have any kind of routine that you do around this or, like, you know, thoughts on reflection in general? No, not not these days. Like, I – and I think this whole, like, meme of, like, 10 minutes a day of meditation is – it's good. Like, the meme – the idea is good. The meme is bad because I think a lot of people feel that if they don't do this, they're not a quote unquote meditator, but ironically they don't realize that that's just a label that is a thought in their head, which is one of the things that they're supposed that, you know, to pay attention to, but not identify with. Um, so I would say like, I am very connected to a lot of the things that I've learned in my spiritual practice. Like um, for me, like I, I don't do any like formal practice, but uh, just paying attention to how much tension is in like my whole like torso and my breath is basically all I feel like I need to do to operate well. Like it's uh, it's like the one thing I can look at and be like, if this is tense, my breathing is tense. I'm not relaxed in my in my whole like torso and my belly. Then I know that I'm carrying tension. You know, like I don't need to like check on anything else. Like that tells me everything I need to know. Um, and then it also is not only like an indicator, but then that's also the prescription. The prescription is then like, okay, you know, spend some time like like breathing deeply, like letting that tension go. And at first, like what my experience is that it feels kind of raw and it feels like what your body doesn't want to do because it got tense for a reason. Right. But then like as you keep doing it, it relaxes into that. Uh, and then, like, your mind also becomes less tight and more agile and more um, open. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you've just learned to incorporate so many of these practices into your being, which I think is really, like, fundamental, which is cool. Took a long um, time. <laughs> all right. I mean, cut. Like, that's a wrap. Um I feel like it's been so good that we don't even need a wind down, really. Like, um, yes. <laughs>
Anyways, I got to go. Like, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, it's cool. so great. You know, um, yeah, I wasn't. Okay, cool. Bye. Bye.